Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. You are not more than you are. You're not less than you are. You're just what you are. (laughs) The season that you find yourself in right now, in life, in your walk with Jesus Christ, that's where you are. You might be looking forward to the next season. You might with longing cast a glance back at the previous season. Forget those for a moment. God has placed you just where you are. There are some of you who are here who are young in the faith. You've just newly come to Christ. Fresh as a child, born into the family of God, to you, you can still feel the wetness of the blood of the precious lamb smeared over your doorpost. The blood of Christ is precious to you. And you might not know chapter and verse, be able to quote everything to everyone or have every answer to every skeptical friend of yours asking why you've given yourself away to this Christ upon a tree. But one thing you know, you were blind and now you see. Around you are more seasoned saints. So you attach yourself to them. You learn from them. And you get in God's word. And you yearn for that pure spiritual milk and you grow. That might be your season right now. If that's your season, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Some of you here are not in that season. You are in just the next season. You're not yet a fully seasoned saint, but you've been through many trials. You are what we'd call maybe a young adult in the faith, spiritually speaking. You've been tested. There's still some settling of the direction of your life. You know you will follow Christ, but things are still shiftable in a sense. You don't have that solid, steady movement of the aged. You're still figuring a lot of things out, as we all are. You're maybe midway through the journey of life. There are at this stage many temptations, you're aware of it partly because of the busyness of this stage of your life, to alter course. Bodily desires may be strong. The call of career, the call of the world is strong. So, you take encouragement by the freshness of the joy of those new in the faith behind you, and you cling to those seasoned in the faith in front of you, and you imitate their steadfastness, and you are strong, and you immerse yourself in the hearing and the reading of God's Word, and perhaps you cling to it with a desperation. You are right in the midst of the battle of the Christian life. Now, if that's you, enjoy your season. You might look back longingly at what you had when you were a babe in Christ, or you might wish you were already aged in Christ, but you're not. Enjoy your season. And lastly, there are some who are here who are aged in Christ. Doesn't necessarily mean you're older physically, although those usually go together. You've been tested, and then you were tested again, and again, and again. You remember that? Through painful season after painful season, tried in ways you never thought you would be tried, and somehow surviving it in Christ. But it has happened so often, and each time a little bit more of the dross is removed. And now in your life, you 
You're not settling, but you are sort of settled into a steadiness, a rhythm of the Christian life. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for longer than I have been alive. And now there is a habitual following after Christ. There is less danger of you falling away. You have given your life to this. The dangers are more in the areas of settling in, calming down, and isolating yourself perhaps. But you fight that and you look back and invest in those who are behind you and take strength from their strength and give wisdom to their lack. If that's the season that you are in, enjoy your season. Don't wish that you were in previous seasons. Remember how hard some of those were. Enjoy the season you are in right now. Now, we're not all in the same season. That's how a local church works. We are different in a lot of ways, and one has to do with where we are spiritually and where we are in life, what season we happen to be in. The key thing is whatever season you are in, don't try to get out of it embrace that season. That's how you progress to the next one, by fully embracing the one that you are in. If you are here and you are a child in the faith, rejoice. Humbly receive God's Word. Be eager to get as much good biblical teaching as you can. Listen to sermons. Have spiritually minded conversations with other believers, especially those older in the faith. And like newborn infants, Scripture says, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Don't lose yourself wishing for the later stages. Be right where you are and be there with all your might. If you are in the next season, a young person in the faith, but growing, then it's going to take all the energy you have to resist the devil. Don't be looking this way and this way. Look right where you are. Fight the good fight. You have a strength. You have a vigor that the rest of the body of Christ relies upon. Don't waste it. Don't squander it. Don't allow it to be distracted away. Pour yourself fully into the season you are in. And if you are here and you are seasoned after many years in the faith and how we need you. And don't waste your time wishing you were in other seasons. We need you in the season that you are in. Please walk faithfully with Christ. Immerse yourself, be green and full of sap so that we who are behind you can see the way in which you walk and learn from your successes and your mistakes. Whatever season you are in, don't regret it. That's the season that God has you in in your relationship with Him. These seasons of the Christian life that I just mentioned here briefly, I mention because they're very clearly laid out for us in our text today. We come to a very unique part of 1 John. You can probably see in the typesetting of your page there in your Bible how this is set apart from what came before and after. Let's read now these seasons of the Christian life as they're presented threefold, twice over, by John, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 2. I... John, am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. 
I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. You can see the three groups mentioned here, children, fathers, young men. I don't think John intends them to be gender specific. It's just the way the language works. So you could see this as children, young persons, if you will, and aged persons. It's clear that John three times says, I am writing, verse 12, verse 13, I am writing, later verse 13, I am writing, and then depending on your translation, at the end of 13, I write, verse 14, I write, I write. Three, three, has each of the groups, he says, I am writing, and then I write. It's a change in the tense of the verb, if you will. I wouldn't read too much into that. <laughs> My own guess is that he does it this way just for style, just so it's not boring. Changes it up. We sometimes do that with our language. Really, the bigger question here is not that. The bigger question here is what are we to make of the three groups? Children, fathers, young men, the very young, the less young, and the even less young. Is he talking about physical ages or spiritual maturity? Some of you are going to be so dissatisfied by this, but I have to tell you, I think there is possibly a blend of them both. I know you want one or the other. I think there's a blend of them both in John's mind, but I do think the heavier emphasis falls upon spiritual maturity. I think that's the key thing he's talking about. The reason I believe that in the text is he gives these because statements after each one. I'm writing because. And if you look at what he says, the because, and you match them up to the groups, they make sense somewhat in a physical way, the young people are strong because that's when you have bodily vitality, usually in a physical sense. The children know the father. Physically, that makes sense. Children know their parents. But I think also all of these things are true of all believers, and I do think that the emphasis falls on spiritual growth. You may have someone who is very, very old, and they came to Christ yesterday, and they are very spiritually immature. I don't think John intends to refer to them as the fathers in this passage. But this blend makes sense because for most of us, and there are many exceptions, but for most of us, it just takes time to grow. So it's more likely if you're physically older that you're also spiritually older. It's not a given and it's not automatic. Also, it's more likely if you're physically younger that you're spiritually younger. There are exceptions. But if you're physically older, you have more time. You have more time to grow. So I think that's what's happening in John's mind. A little of the physical, we'll see that. Primarily, though, we're talking about seasons of the Christian life. So let's just begin. We've got an easy outline because there's three groups. So let's just begin with the first of these. It's the children. What season of the Christian life is John talking about when he refers to these children? Look at them again at the very beginning of our passage. I am writing to you, little children, because 
your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And look at verse 14. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. To further complicate things, it is very possible that when he refers to children, he is speaking really to everyone because throughout this letter, 1 John, we've seen this term often and we'll see it again, children or little children. We have in this verse, little children, and verse 14, children, those are different terms in the original, but we find both of them throughout this letter when John is referring to all believers. He refers to all of them, all the people he's writing to, whether old or young, they're my children. They're children or little children. So you could take this to be referring to all of them, but I do think that the two because statements given with them leads us to believe that he has specifically in his mind those who are new in the faith. Because these two because statements really summarize, you can test this yourself, summarize the predominant experience of someone who just came to Christ. This is what we tend to be most conscious of. I'm writing to you children, because your sins are forgiven. What's the first thing you're most aware of when you come to Christ, when you're a new believer? Your sins are forgiven. You're probably not digging into complementarianism and male-female roles right now. You're going to get to that as you mature. The first thing in your mind as a new believer, my sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And if there's another thing in your mind, it's what's in verse 14, because you know the Father. Your first experience of God's love as a father to you. It would be hard to isolate anything more central to the experience of a new Christian than this double sense of forgiveness of sins and the love of God your Father. Now, you may have come to Christ only yesterday or last month or last year. Maybe you're sitting there and you just came to Christ this week. Praise God. That's great. Or maybe it's just recently. And you may have found yourself saddened when you are around other Christians because they quote Bible verses. Some of them have been Christians a long time. And you just give a few words of something you read and they know chapter and verse. And you start to get discouraged because you think, I don't know anything about the Bible. I can't quote these. How do I get there? So you just don't want to talk about spiritual stuff too much to show how little you know. Look, it doesn't matter. We all start as children in the faith. It doesn't matter. You don't have to know all those things. Or you have remnants of your old life, sins that you're still fighting, that the believers around you more season, they've overcome those things more. You're still stopping cussing. That was such a part of your life. It slips out sometimes. You're embarrassed by it. Little children, take heart. It doesn't matter because this is true of you. Your sins, all your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. That's why John writes to you. That is especially vivid and important if you're a newer believer. Because one temptation when you are new in the faith is you remember vividly 
because it might have been like last week when you were not a believer. You remember walking in the deeds of darkness and participating in the filth that makes up this world. Such were some of you, and maybe very recently such were some of you. It's on your mind, and you had a sense of the judgment of God that was falling upon you for your sin. What do you need to hear the most? Your sins are forgiven. That overwhelms us when we are new in the faith. That's the amazing thought. Later we get into complexities and we can at times lose sight of that original foundational idea of the Christian life. But if you are new in the faith, little children, enjoy this thought. Rest in this season. Remember this. Let it be vivid to you. Your sins are forgiven for His name's, his name's sake. You can say with the Scripture, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Some of us who, has, who have walked with the Lord for a longer period of time, we read that as, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. If you're new in the faith, you probably read it this way. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Let that be a part of your enjoyment. That's why John writes to you this letter, because you know that and to remind you of that. Now, it says your sins are forgiven for his name's sake, and there are two possible meanings there. He doesn't say who the him is. could be referring to Christ, saying your sins are forgiven because Christ took the punishment for your sins upon the cross. That's the gospel. You have trusted in Jesus, and your guilty account is cleared because Christ cleared it taking it upon the cross, and now you have His righteousness, so your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. That's why you can't stop talking about Jesus. This could also mean your sins are forgiven for the sake of the glory of God's name, that God has forgiven you as a way of honoring Himself. That's why your heart is beating with a desire for God to be glorified and all your friends who you used to walk with as an unbeliever, you can't understand why they don't see God as glorious. <laughs> he forgives sins. What's better than that? You might not know chapter and verse as well as you would like, and you have a lot to learn, but you know this lesson and maybe you know it better than many of us who are more seasoned. Jesus loved me, he who died, heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin, let his little child come in. If that's your season, enjoy it. Now together with this fresh sense of sins forgiven, we also see in the text, John writes to little children or children because, quote, you know the Father. If you're a new Christian, you have to learn how to pray. If you don't have a church background, that could be especially difficult. There's a certain language, and in every culture, there's a certain way that we pray. So you're watching and trying to figure out how people pray. You might be like Anne in Anne of Green Gables, the series, signs off her first prayer with yours respectfully, Anne Shirley. <laughs> I know someone else who, in his earliest prayers, would cuss and say, sorry, Lord. But there's something precious about this early movement from not praying and not having a relationship with God to praying. And so, don't worry, you'll pick it up. Most importantly, Jesus himself teaches you how to pray. And when he does, what does he say? Pray in this way, our Father. 
You know the Father. It's one of the most prominent features of the early Christian life is you realize that you're not an orphan in the world, but you have a Father in heaven. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's a new thing for you to have the Holy Spirit within you. He comes within you, and Scripture says it is the Spirit of the Son of God within you that causes your heart to cry out, Abba, Father! Abba, that's an endearing term. You see God not as some distant deity who answers some of your requests for healing and so forth, but now God is a Father to you, and if you're a new child of God, then that sense hopefully is very strong with you. You feel it keenly. If you're a newer saint... Enjoy this season. Cherish your relationship with God as your Father. You might be looking ahead longing for the day when you've overcome these sins and you know how to pray very well and you know chapter and verse where things are and you want to teach and you want to know God deeply and you want to mature and you want to have a steady life, not flipping and flopping around. You're going to get there. But you get there by embracing the season that you're in. And if you ask any seasoned saint who's sitting around you, when they think back of the first season of knowing Christ, they would say, embrace the season that you are in. It is kind of like if there's a young woman and she's engaged to be married, and there's the stress of wedding planning and all of the expectations of everyone, and it can be overwhelming. But you who are married and later, you know when you look back on that season of engagement, with all of its difficulties... The memories you made in that season tend to stay with you as good memories for the rest of your life. Little children, if you are a babe in Christ, embrace the season you're in. Enjoy the early infatuation you have with Christ. Pour yourself into it. Don't be distracted away. You're making rich memories for the rest of your Christian life, and you need to invest yourself fully in it. Your sins are forgiven, and God is your Father. Enjoy that. And when you grow, eventually you'll move to the next season. And that's what we're going to move to now in our text. The second season given, of course, there's a lot of a spectrum here. You can be in between seasons, I suppose, but he just gives us three. And the second is young men. We could say also young women. Skip to the third statement there midway through verse 13. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then verse 14, he actually just expands on what he said. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Really, that second rephrasing of it is just an explanation of the first. If you're in this season, this middle season, you've overcome the evil one. That's Satan himself. But how? How do you do that? By being strong. Well, how do you be strong? By having the Word of God abide in you. So let's just start in the first place of John's logic here. The Word of God abides in you. Verse 14. Now, addressing you who are somewhere in the middle. You're not a old, old seasoned saint, and you're not a brand new believer. You're somewhere here in the middle. You're aware, and probably more now than you were before, that knowing God is not just a matter of you learning the chapter and verse. It's 
It's not just once you get the verses memorized and you know the theological terms, you know God. People might assume that about you. It's not true. But I do want to point out as well that if you don't read and learn from the verses, you're not going to mature. <laughs> so your walk may be more than knowing the Bible, but it's certainly not less than knowing the Bible. And you're not going to mature into this middle season and beyond it without knowing Scripture. That's what John says here. The Word of God abides in you. It's not just that you know it. It doesn't abide in your mind. It abides in you as an entire person. And it remains there lodged within you, guiding all your conduct. It's your meditation. It's on your mind. That's a part of this season of your life is that you've, from the time you were new in Christ, learned Scripture, you've put it in you, and now you're focusing on keeping it in you and continuing to grow. This is like if you have a father and he has a son. If that father travels nonstop for work and he's never home, but, you know, he calls home sometimes, and he could tell you his son's age, his name, his birthday maybe. He could tell you his son's height and weight perhaps even. He could tell you his son's favorite color, but he doesn't know his son doesn't talk to him. Similarly for you, you can know all kinds of things about God, but not know him. At the same time, if a father doesn't know those details, then he just doesn't know his son. So their prerequisites for knowing God is knowing scripture. Young people, how are you learning more of God's word? What's your plan? If you don't plan for it, and you know, especially in this season of your life, you're getting started on a career, studying, career, family, whatever it is, you know in this season of your life, the demands are loud and everywhere. If you don't plan for it, you're going to forget about the Bible. You're going to get one hour Sunday mornings, and I promise you that's not enough to overcome the devil. What is your plan to grow in your knowledge of God's Word? How are you going to, in the words of Colossians, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God? In this season, that's not going to happen by accident. That's going to be by intention. It might be that when you first came to Christ, there was a zeal and enthusiasm that got you out of bed and got you into the Bible. You couldn't wait. And now, as time's gone on, you get used to that. And perhaps the zeal has waned. Okay, the zeal has waned. Let's wake it up again. What are you going to do to wake up your zeal to have the Word of God abiding in you? How are you going to get to Bible study, small group? How are you going to listen to sermons? How are you going to get Bible teaching? How are you going to make sure you're memorizing Scripture? How are you going to make sure you're talking about Scripture with others? You've got energy, some of you more than others. But if you're in this season, you may be also physically in this middle season. This is the peak of energy. I know it seems like when you're two, that's the peak of energy, but it's not. They take naps. This is the peak of your strength. The glory of young men is their strength. You have energy, and you have to choose what to do with it, what you're going to do with it. And John is writing to the young men and saying, the word of God abides in you. Give your energy to this. Why? Because it's the only way you're going to be strong in a spiritual sense. See that in the verse, verse 14? You are strong. Because the Word of God abides in you, you are strong. 
Young bodies often are the stronger bodies. That's why we let the young raise the children. They don't need as much sleep. <laughs> they can survive it and work physically demanding jobs. We don't make the kids do it. When you get older, you retire. We don't make you do it. It's the physically young who are doing the demanding jobs. But whether or not your body is physically strong, in this case, is irrelevant. It is about spiritually. You must be strong spiritually. And it will only happen if you're on a steady diet of God's Word. Not even the blazing archangel Michael was willing to revile Satan directly. You might think, it'd be awesome to see an angel, get a vision of an angel, be like one of those nude babies in the Renaissance paintings. It's not that way. Michael the archangel is a magnificent, glorious creature. And you would be terrified, and like the biblical writers, you'd fall on your face before him. But even the archangel, ruler of angels, when he came to Satan, would not revile him directly. Why? Because Satan is powerful. He's not weak. I remember having a friend in a Hispanic church, and he was singing a song to me as he danced around, and it was in Spanish, and I didn't understand it. And afterward, he explained, we're singing, we're stomping on the head of the devil. We're stomping on the head of the devil. I understand the sentiment, but you don't play with the devil like that. So when he says, you young men, you have overcome the evil one himself, Satan himself. That's not a small feat. That's not something simple. How is this possible? Because the word of God abides in you and has given you a remarkable strength that allows you in Christ to overcome the evil one. That is a large goal in this season for you. It is your waging warfare against the flesh and the world and the devil. And it happens as you're fueled by the word of God. Look, you could eat a grape tonight and nothing else. And tomorrow try to run a marathon fueled on nothing but one grape in your stomach. And maybe some of you could do that, but probably most of you couldn't. You eat carbs. You get something that will sustain you. And John is saying, you who are in the middle in the faith here, you need to eat. You need to keep your strength up. When you're in this season, if you're also physically young, then some temptations are stronger than in other seasons of life. And so, the warfare rages. You also may have more energy, more focus. You have to use it to fight the battle. Others in the faith are depending upon you to do this. So feed yourself on the Word of God. The devil is crouching like a lion, and his desire for you in this season is not even maybe for you to renounce the faith, although of course he would love that. But if he can just take all of your youthful energies and distract them, or disperse them in a million different directions, several hobbies over here, career ideas over here, future goals and planning, even good things like your family, and just have you throw everything you have into those and give the leftovers to the Bible and God and pray and church. It's the leftovers. You're doomed. <laughs> You're doomed. The devil is like a lion. He wants to devour you. If this is the season you're in, past the first, not at the last, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Use every last ounce of energy you have in fighting your sin. Don't come to peace with your sin. You struggle with pornography or sexual temptation. You struggle with... Whatever it is you're struggling with, when you're here in the middle, you say, well, I've struggled with this so long. When I was first a Christian, I thought maybe I'll overcome it, but now I'm kind of settled into it. 
As John Owen says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Do not settle into sins here. That's not how you mature. You're strong. So I'm weak. Get in the word of God. You're strong and you have overcome the evil one. Do not grow weary in the heat of the day. But as David told Joab, his commander, strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. You fighting sin? You striving to keep your focus? Strengthen your attack. Overcome the devil. Of course, the text says you have overcome the devil. This has already, in a sense, happened in Christ, and it's something we go on doing. This brings us now to the final group in our text. We've seen the children in Christ. We've seen you who are in the middle. And now we turn to the fathers, or again, you could say the mothers. These are seasoned saints. Verse 13 starts this way. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And now look at verse 14. It's the same, <laughs> except he says, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I suppose that could be a nod to the consistency of seasoned saints. <laughs> Get the same thing over. This is the goal of every one of us in this room. Here we are at church. We're not doing anything flashy. We're trying to mature. This is the goal, this steadiness, becoming a father or a mother, a seasoned saint, one who's been through temptations and has succeeded, fought against them and has grown. If this is you in this local body, please embrace this season. I want you to know we are very desperate to have you leading ahead of us and showing us what it means to be what he calls a father who knows him who's from the beginning. All of our eyes are fixed on you. You're our goal. You're what we want for our life. Sure, many people long to be famous and to be on massive stages. We're Christians. We want to be an aged, faithful saint, loving our spouse, with children we invest in as we can, serving in the local church, reading our Bible every day, and praying consistently. That's what we want. That's our big, ambitious goal. That's you. Our eyes are fixed on you. Whether that's those who are new in the faith, those of us who are maybe more middle in the faith, we find a comfort in your stability we rest in the stories of your exploits when you used to be in the previous seasons, how you fought the good fight and will fight it to the end. You've known God a long time, longer than many of us have been alive. I think that's why he says here, you know him who is from the beginning. He's not saying you are from the beginning, okay? He's saying you know him who is from the beginning. I think here he's talking about the beginning of creation and really even before the beginning of creation, you know the ancient one. You know the faithful God from everlasting to everlasting the same. And it's fitting that you know him because although you've known him a long time, he's known you a lot longer. Your stability, your consistency, your rockness, if you will, is because you are built on the greater rock. You're built on him who was from and before the beginning. It could be referring to Christ because the word was in the beginning with God. But either way, it's referring to God. 
and you know him, and therefore there is a consistency about you. You're not worshiping some newfangled deity. This isn't some kind of fad of American evangelicalism that's being bumped out in books now, and the younger people rush to it. <laughs> but you've been through this rodeo many times, and you understand. Be consistent. You're seasoned. You know a faithful God, and you are faithful. I understand that it is a common practice among us to divide ourselves up by generations. So you have those who are younger spending most time with the younger, and those who are a little older with kids spend time with them. And if you're older, you spend time with those who are older, even physically speaking. There's something with that that's totally fine, but I hope that's not our full practice. You can see, especially you who are older, we really need you. Now, you may be aware that there is less gray hair in this room than there was maybe five years ago. You may also be aware that there's a lot of new non-gray hair in this room that was not here five years ago, some of whom maybe didn't know Christ five years ago. How are those of us who are younger in the faith, how are we going to know how to be steady and consistent? We want to do great things and change the world. We can't even get in the Word every morning. <laughs> we need you who are older in our lives. I hope that there are ways that we're fostering this fellowship. I understand that if you are older, both as a person and in the faith, that you look at those who are younger and they speak a different language. <laughs> and they dress in ways that baffle the mind to you. And their customs are like they're a different culture from some island somewhere. And those of you who are younger, you look at those who are older and you think, I'm just going to offend them. I don't know what they expect of me. I don't know how to talk. I don't know what they want. Listen, we're one in Christ. We serve him who is unchanging from the beginning. We've got to overcome that. We who are younger need you who are older. I, I mean this. This isn't just like pastor cliche or something. We need you who know him who is from the beginning. We need you to model for us what it means to be faithful. We need you to show us what we're even aiming for. What kind of a life are we even shooting for as we fight the good fight? Your life. We need to see that in you. I know culture has its jokes about age, but here within the church, it's not that way. We have nothing but reverence for gray hairs especially if they're attended by a spiritual maturity. The world, those who market new products, those who make moves culturally, they're interested in the younger generations, in the up-and-coming, because they're going to sell them products and so forth, and they're the future. But it's not us. You know where our eyes are fixed? Not primarily on the younger. Our eyes are fixed primarily on you who are older, older in the faith, even older in life experience. We need you. Notice how you're in the list. Fathers, the older, you're in the list because every part, every group here is absolutely necessary. We read in Scripture, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, not just to the office of elder, but to those who are older. We read in Scripture that older women are to teach younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. And what's suggested is, older women, if you don't do that, the Word of God will be reviled. We don't want that to happen. <laughs> Please train the younger women. Overcome the weird cultural differences. That's fine. Reach out. And you who are younger, reach out to those who are older. 
I know this is something that's emphasized in ladies' ministry. We're grateful for that. There must be this intergenerational help. Please show us what it means to know God as the everlasting God from the beginning, not the God invented anew every few years by the culture and marketed to us young people. (laughs) Please embrace the season you are in and help us all as we follow in your tread. Help us to embrace our seasons too and to mature. Let's pray. Oh God, we know you. We know you, Father. We know you who are from the beginning. And in you we overcome the evil one and all his snares. So please, Lord, I pray you would help us since you have granted to us the very young in the faith, the less young in the faith, and those older in the faith. Help us all to encourage each other, not to segregate apart from each other, but together to press forward, the young providing strength and exuberance and the old providing wisdom and guidance. I pray that you would help us, Lord, locked arm in arm, to make real progress, not in the sense that the world deems progress, not even uh, numerically. We're not looking for a massive church. We are looking for real, consistent, Christian, sacrificial maturity. It's the aim of our life, to kill our sin, to live in love toward one another. I pray that you would grant us to do this, all, each member helping the other, for the sake of your name, that your word may abide in us and not be reviled. It's in Christ's name we pray.